Hey there, welcome to the More Simple Podcast. My name is Mo. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes and build community around important issues. On this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured on this platform are by people whose journey I'm inspired by, and most importantly, people who have been courageous and vulnerable to be open about their life stories. And I hope that in turn, you'll find these stories inspiring. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the Marcible Podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for Blacks and Asians and those who love them. And I'm your host, Marcible, Nigerian-born, U.S.-educated, Korean-speaking, wandering intellectual. I am really super-duper stoked to introduce my next guest to you guys, and that's because I have been following them for a very long time. When I started following them, which was probably like a couple of years ago, I I hadn't started a podcast then, so I decided, okay, when I start a podcast, I'm just going to, you know, eventually bring them on the show, and I emailed, and anyway, she's here today, and you guys will understand why I'm so excited to talk about this next person, because she's super inspirational. I know we throw the word inspirational quite a lot sometimes at things that are not so inspirational. Like, that cake is inspirational. I know, I mean, this person really is. You get to, once you get to know her story and just how open and vulnerable she is, she's just full of stories. That's one word to describe her. So her name is um, Dr. Tosi Odunsi. She's an OBGYN who has a non-traditional path to becoming a physician. After graduating from Cornell University in 2008, she started her master's in public health at Thomas Jefferson University in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. She went on to start medical school at Meharry Medical College in Tennessee and completed her MPH between her second and third year. That's amazing, while in medical school. Subsequently, she graduated from Meharry in 2014. Unfortunately, she became a young widow during her intern year at OBGYN residency in June of 2015. As you can imagine that this significant life experience has given her the courage to be transparent on her Instagram page, at Life by Tossing, and she serves as a life coach and um, motivator to many and encourages people now to live their life, their intentional life now. So everyone join me welcoming Dr. Tossing to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's a nice yeah. intro. Wow. <laughs> well, you sent it. I just, <laughs> I just did a speak to it, really. Yeah, I, I, liked how, you. I liked how you presented it. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, you're full of so many stories, and I don't want that to sound as cheesy as it came out of my mouth, but your life that is, and especially, I think the most admirable thing about you is just how open and vulnerable you've been, especially with stuff that, you know, heavy stuff, stuff that if you were to keep quiet and not talk about, it's understandable. But even when you're going through the process, you're out there still talking about it. Like, what would you say um, has been just that motivator behind you being this way? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. And I think once you go through that experience, okay, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I just like bounced back from it and was fine. It's definitely a process of growth. So when my husband, uh, when my late husband passed in 2015, I definitely went through a very long grieving process that I'm still experiencing the effects um, right now. Um, He passed away on Father's Day in 2015. And in one hour, he was gone. And we had been married, it was approaching seven years. And you can imagine, and for myself, I 
put so much identity in being Don's wife that my whole world shattered in an hour. as I'm speaking speaking about it now it's like your life can change so quickly and in the past uh, in recent times we have the Kobe Bryant and his daughter passing yeah. away and yeah. I think that's that's just been a, an eye-opening experience and a wake-up call for a lot of people like we can't play around with our lives anymore like we can't mm-hmm. we can't just wait for things to happen or complain about things being wrong so I think after um, the first 10 months was when I started to just try and answer the question of who am I without my husband, hmm. which also led to the question of who am I without medicine? Because hmm. those were my main identities at the time. And when he passed, I thought, okay, we made all these plans together, even the type of physician I was going to be after I graduated residency and all of that just shattered in an hour. Um, so the first 10 months, pretty much a blur. And I've talked to, about this on my Instagram, but there's, there's minimal that I remember from the first 10 months. I, I can't even tell you what I was doing. And that's just the effect of PTSD, which is real that I learned yeah. is actually real. And it's not just, war veterans that go through that it's any traumatic experience um but i i i walked away from god at that time um but god was able to bring me back through music and just really come down to where i was hurting in this place and speak to my heart and eventually i i started going back to church my family was such a huge support at that time for months mm-hmm they were on this rotation schedule to be with me uh, during the initial uh, part. They didn't want to leave me alone. And I'm very fortunate to have a family like that. I had cousins that came from England and stayed with me for about a month. And I'm just so appreciative for my family um, because I'm not the only one who, who went through this experience. That's their, their son, their brother, their cousin. Um, yeah. It's just, it was definitely a community surrounding me. And once I got my head above water, um, I think that's when the healing started. And I was able to see life as, yeah, you get one shot at this. And I don't want any regrets. I'm, I'm very much still fearful whenever I take a step of faith. I'm, I, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I do scared um, but it's, I have to tell myself, what do I have to lose? Um, so that's, that's my motivator. I, I don't want people to be in a pit and stay there. I want them to figure out a way out, whether you have to crawl out or climb out or reach out to somebody who is above you, who can get you out of that pit. I want you to live the, the greatest and fullest life that you can.
Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, in following you on Instagram, I know you got married in your 20s quite early. Mm-hmm. And so when you talked about how when Don died and how within an hour, everything was just like, you were kind of questioning your identity because you, I mean, you made your 20s, you guys lived your life together for seven years. You were together for even, I can imagine even longer before you guys got married. And so to just lose that, I can't even imagine the, like the questions that you had to raise, like, who am I? You know, so I'm just curious to know, like, it's right for those that are still young, or maybe those that are currently going through this as well, trying to search for their identity apart from what their reality used to be, maybe through a loss or through um, a breakup that was really traumatic. What kind of words of encouragement would you give them as far as finding themselves back? And then you talked about music, and even though you stepped away from the church, God was able to bring you back. Yeah. In addition to those things, what kind of suggestions and you know, sagely wisdom would you give to them? Sure. I think that's a good question because you don't have to have a traumatic experience to grow and figure out who you are. Um, We live in a tough time where it's easy to compare yourself to other people with social media. And I definitely fall into this trap sometimes when I'm in that rabbit hole of Instagram, like, wow, that person's so great. But I've learned I'm in my own lane and I can't see the background of what's happening in somebody else's life. So little by little, it's easier for me to be like, look, this is my life. I take full ownership of my life and I'm going to make myself the best version of me that I can. And whether you're single, married, um, in your teens, 20s, I don't care if you're 60 something years old you can always reinvent yourself and do better. Mm. I got married when I was 21. Don and I were together for 10 years. And I'm not saying I I wasn't functioning well or doing well while I was with him, but I had to ask these questions like, who does God say that I am? Mm. Um, And I had a tough time during residency. And I talk about this on my Instagram and it just comes back to who does God say that I am? And whenever people were maybe gossiping about me, I had to weigh it against that litmus test of what truth is. So if you know what the truth is, it's easier when a storm happens, say, no, this is a storm. It's not going to be forever. And this is the truth. And just, just really center yourself upon that truth. So a new thing that I've been doing that's actually been helpful in 2019 is actually no for throughout residency. So the last uh, four years since Don, four or five years since Don passed is saying daily positive affirmations. Recently, since March, 2018, I was struggling with what is my purpose in life? Is it just to go to the hospital, see patients, do surgery? I think we can get into like this boring schedule of, okay, I'm just going to work and going home and I'm in all these roles, but I'm a big believer of passion projects. So for example, you're doing this podcast, which is reaching so many people and giving them a space to feel safe and accepted and not judged. Uh, My passion project came about in March, 2018 And I strongly believe that serving others and having an impact in your community is how you can 
dig yourself out of a deep state of depression uh, can minimize anxiety because you're so focused on others. On yourself, yeah, rather than other people when you're, when you're depressed, yeah. Yeah, so you're working on yourself, you're doing self-care, and you're yeah. also giving back to your, your community, your immediate community. And I'm not comparing myself to celebrities. They can obviously have a huge impact. I answer the question of what can I do right now? So in March 2018, um, I got so many DMs from people on their medical journey that just were not prepared at all. Mm-hmm. Um, from high school all the way to residency, going through different issues. And their stories didn't sound much different than mine. Yeah. Lots of stories on uh, microaggression, racism. And I was like, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So, I found a statistic, 1.1 million active physicians, that's the current statistic, and only 2% 2 of them are black female physicians. So that's such a tiny statistic. And I started a mentorship program that was just myself um, because I saw that need and I was getting the same questions. African and Latinx. Yes. So it's actually evolved over the years. At first it was, I want to mentor everybody, which. (laughs) (laughs) Which you could, but you wish existed. (laughs) Yeah, it took so much energy. So I had to, I've gone through a bunch of editing since that time. And now it's black and Latinx females. Um, And I'm now getting help recruiting uh, active black and Latinx female physicians to mentor them because that seems to be the big issue. People, if you don't know if they're going through this path correctly, they don't know if they're doing the right thing. And just having somebody who can be your cheerleader, your encourager in a space that is very discouraging to people who look like me, I think that's actually given me so much fulfillment and helped me get up in the morning. Thank you for that. So I think I definitely believe in that. It's also one of my greatest motivation is just pouring yourself into the service of others. Because I think from that, in addition to not being fixated on yourself, you also learn more about gratitude. Like some of the things, even in your current Pete, what you take for granted, and you see other people that don't even have as much as you have, or maybe they have as much as you have, but the lack that there's some, like what you're serving, how you're serving them, you're seeing opportunities to fill some holes in their life. It's so self-rewarding. And maybe it sounds selfish to, you know, put ourselves in the service of others, but I think it's one of the greatest ways to practice gratitude and also they can battle uh, depression and anxiety. Absolutely. In addition to seeing a therapy and taking your meds. Status. Sure. Definitely yeah. get a therapist. I'm very, yes. very much an advocate of self-care and therapy. We all have something Just, to talk about. We do. We do. Jesus and therapy. That's my, that's my, <laughs> my hashtag. Or Jesus uh, and Joloff. <laughs> exactly. Jesus and Joloff. Joloff, Nigerian Joloff. And then, you know, yeah. <laughs> therapy and Joloff Jesus fixes everything. Yes, yes, girl. So thanks for sharing that. Um, another question I wanted to ask was this. So I know you since we're married. And if anyone follows your Instagram, they know his name is Mr. S. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have this question. 
Uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to on grief is Terrible Thanks for Asking. I don't know if you listen to her by Nora McNeil. Yep, and there was this, um, during one of her talks, she talked about how when you're grieving, you don't move on from grief. You move forward. Because she too, she's since remarried. And her husband had like um, glioblastoma. And then her dad died. Her husband eventually died. Her dad died and, you know, and all in the span of, you know, months. And now she's remarried. She has kids and blended family. But she still talks about her, you know, her husband. And for her, she said something about how his life and death has been such a motivation for her. And that without him, you know, dying, she wouldn't have this life. She talks about her past husband and a way of doing that honors her present husband. Now, some people, it's so difficult to, like, comprehend that, like, why are you talking about your late husband? Like, you know, you're married now. Like, what do you have to say about that, you know, that line of um, criticism? Like, in talking about your past ex-husband, are you really, really honoring your current husband? Okay. So I've gotten this backlash before. Um, The first thing I'll say is if you haven't gone through it, you cannot give advice on it so basically just shut up guys <laughs> that's a nice way of saying it the second thing i will say is grief takes on many different forms hmm. there are some widows who do not talk about their late husband however i agree with nora because there's not been a day that i haven't thought of don because of his personality he's in he's in everywhere and it might be a, mem- a memory that I have in that moment, and it's not for anybody to take that away from me. Um, and I'm the woman that I have, that I am now because of that experience. So if you haven't gone through it, you can't say anything. And grief takes on many different forms. I think Nora is on to something that in, in honoring her late husband, she's honoring her, her current husband because it allows her current husband to actually know who she was before Mm. they got married. And when you get married, you take on that person in their entirety. So to Mm. ask somebody to delete that part of their life is not kind. Um, Mm. And it's up to the couple, the current couple, to decide how they want to engage with that tragedy. Now, in terms of people who think, oh, you got remarried, that should take it away. Would you say the same thing to somebody who lost their child Mm -hmm. and has a child? Does that take away the child that was lost? No. Mm -hmm. Or if, yeah, I just just think it's not a, a good parallel to make. Um, one of the instances that I had is I had my white coat um, that had my hyphenated name on the white coat after Don passed away. And somebody commented, oh, you're still using the hyphenated name. That's disrespectful to your your husband. And I was like, okay, first of all, <laughs> I'm not going to have them order another white coat. And second of all, I'm going by my hyphenated name until I'm ready to change it, or maybe I'll never change it. Now, I, I've since then changed my name to my maiden name, and that was a decision my 
current husband and I made, and he was very encouraging. Um, and one thing I'll say about <laughs> marrying a widow is it takes a special type of person. I wanted to say that. To marry a widow. Yeah. yeah. I've proven myself as a wife. I know I'm a damn good wife. So for somebody to come in and say, I want to marry you and take all of you, it takes a special type of man to do that. So shout yeah. out to S for holding me down and being there for me because it takes a special type of partner to, to take all of me instead of just Tulsi from 2015 on. Uh, uh. Thank you for that. Um, that's that's quite you know, you put it well. I think you're right. If we haven't gone through those kind of situations, it's for whatever we see is just what we see. We don't really know what it's like to be in those kind of situations. So um, put your judgment aside, and instead of just making those kind of assumptions, why not just have a conversation with those kind of people? Sure, they might be open to having a conversation. Then you just inserting yourself in a situation you have you know nothing about. So, um, and you wouldn't that. even say it in person. So a lot of people exactly. feel very bold online. Yeah, which is oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the downsides of social media. Mm. So I I know you have a you're Nigerian, and as far as your cultural um, heritage and all that, were there any cultural um, expectations um, as far as when you were grieving or that you were held back because of you know some cultural norms? And I, I, I'm just asking that because I do know for a fact that you are, you know, you're Yoruba mm-hmm. as far as your heritage. Did you have any of those things crop up? Uh, Maybe from family members, well, well-meaning extended family members? Sure. Not even just um, well-meaning family members, but I think people are just uncomfortable with death and they don't know what to say. Mm, and it seemed like everything everybody said was just wrong. And I just preferred the silence. And that's just me. Um, my family knows me the best, so they, they definitely knew what I needed at each phase of grieving. Um, but I, 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 I was angry with what people would say, but now I just know that it's an uncomfortable time for everybody and people don't know what to say. People don't experience it until they are actually going through it. I've yeah. I've learned to give people grace and just know that most people are well-meaning. Some people are not. Um, but some of the things that happen is people <laughs> in the Nigerian culture, even beyond, they tend to say platitudes. So a platitude is something that is supposed to mean something, but it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean it, yeah. So like, it is well. I probably got that a hundred times. I was like, don't worry, you'll find another husband, so right? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like that. Within the, <laughs> within the first week. Oh like, my gosh, no way. You're young, you're beautiful. <laughs> you'll find another husband. I'm just like, this is the first week. <laughs> I don't... <gasps> But it, it's that vomit of the mouth that people think they can just say anything and make it better, but it just makes it worse. Um, and then 
like talking about children. So my husband and I, we were ready to have children. So that was a sensitive spot for me. And I think I got very sensitive to people complaining about their husbands and also their children Mm. and just complaining in general, because I was like, is your life actually that bad right now? Is it? Is it? Oh, you want me to share my story? It's kind of right awkward for both of us right now, but yeah. I'll go ahead and share. Your husband is still alive, and then people who got divorced would compare it to that. But your 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 husband, your ex husband, is still alive, and yeah. divorce is not the same as being widowed to somebody that you love yeah. and you yeah. want to. So I think people um, in in trying to connect with me, they would talk about their loss instead of (laughs) it's very important that you focus on the person that's actually grieving and not bring it back to yourself. So, oh, my father died or. Yeah, I guess it goes back to what you said about we find it very awkward talking about death and then even the best of people with the best of intentions Sometimes they say things that it's just like, uh, you should have just kept quiet. Yeah. And you just don't know how to meet people at that point of your needs. Yeah. And when people start comparing it to their pets dying. No way. Yes. <laughs> That's for the Nigerians, buddy. No, no, not Nigerians. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but still. It's <laughs> like, okay. I could but see still. how you're, you're grieving, but it's you're a little, little, a little, there, yeah. little different. Yeah, you can go get one in PetSmart right now, but I can't bring it. <laughs> yeah, oh I can. My. I can. I know I've grown because I can laugh about it now. But of course, in that time, I was just it so angry. I, I can see how grief has really. You've learned a lot from it, and in following your post, I can see that growth. And it's amazing how even something as huge and as you know. Moby that's death has really given you a revised, like a, like a, what's the word? A revamped sense of being and living. And that has even poured into your passion now to help people live their intentional life. Absolutely. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. And I think the best analogy, and I'm not trying to, you know, sugarcoat your experience to be when Jesus died for us. I mean, just imagine what that must have felt like to God losing his son, mm-hmm. but knowing that something bigger was coming out of it. But in that moment, it really was in, it was dark. I mean, it was, it was really sad and, and dark and, and everything that you could call hopeful was gone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's one of the reasons I really admire what you do because it's not, it's not for the faint hearted. Like, like you say, you see Don in everything you do, he's still part of your life. It's not, sometimes I can imagine that it's not even very easy talking about these kind of things, but you still go on. And it's one of the reasons I, like I say, I admire you a lot. And, and I think that's one of the things we can learn as well, how to take our experiences, even the ones that are not so good, the ones that are so painful, and see how we can, you know, lessons that can be learned from them for ourselves and for those around us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you know that podcast is going mainstream? And that there are many people all over the world listening to podcasts daily? For example, in the US alone, one in every three persons listen to at least one podcast every month. Well, that's a lot of people. Do you also know that podcast listeners tend to be more loyal, affluent, and educated? Speaking of these retro qualities, 
Did you also know that on a monthly basis, thousands of people all over the world listen to the Mossable podcast? Hmm. Well, do you have a business, service, event, or product you'd love loyal, affluent, and educated listeners to hear about? Then look no farther. To promote your services on the podcast, send an email to talktomo at mossible.com today. Or you can visit our website at www.mossible.com. That is www.mosibyl.com. Thank you. So I know another big thing about you will be you are a doctor and you've been very open about your experience getting into medical school and the rejections. And then even in medical school, the struggles you've had, even in residency, and then your decision currently now as with your practice and all of that. And just in few words, for those that don't follow you on Instagram, um, can you just talk about some of the, you know, just your medical school journey and the struggles you've shared and, and all of that? Sure. So it's been long. I think that would be long and challenging would be the summary. Um I started undergrad at Cornell University and I just remember the first weekend I went home because <laughs> I couldn't do it. Where was home then? Were you living in so, Yeah, so Cornell's in Ithaca and my parents are in Buffalo, New York. And I oh. came home immediately the first day <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. Um, so eventually I went back, obviously, and... I did struggle my first year and um, finish my first year with maybe a 2.7 GPA. I'd gotten a maybe a D plus in biology, intro bio, and then a C in general chemistry. And I had wanted to be a physician since I was three. And I had met with an advisor and they basically shattered my dreams and were like, you need to pick something else <laughs> because, because basically my interpretation was they were saying your grades suck. You can't do this. <laughs> um, so my, my dad's a physician and my, my mom and my family, they're very supportive and they just didn't take that as the truth. So worked really hard, figured out how to play the game, how to pretty much dump a bunch of A's into my GPA and, Ended up graduating with a 3.5 wow. total and applied to medical school um, to start one year after I got married. So I took a gap between college and medical school to start working on my MPH at Thomas Jefferson, then got into medical school. Um, so that that was a little bit of a longer process. And I took the MCAT three times. Um, only went up a couple points, but luckily Meharry Medical College, they, they said yes, and they took me, and I'm very nice. thankful for that. Um, during medical school, I struggled with step one and step two. I had to retake both of them. You know, for step one, I missed it by two points, wow. and I was devastated. I remember being in the middle of my psychiatry rotation maybe three days, because the score always comes out on a Wednesday. We had our final on Friday. I, Wednesday at whatever time, I look at it and was devastated. And I, I tell the teacher, I'm not taking the final. I can't. I can't emotionally. So that, that was a very depressing time. And I ended up leaving medical school to take time off to just study 
in a place where I felt safe, which was in Delaware, where my late husband was. Um, He was still working and we were doing long distance. Um, So yeah, studied, passed, all is well. Yay. (laughs) I get to finish my rotations, but here comes step two. And my grandmother passes away maybe two or three days before I take step two. And I was ready, but that grief, I was very close with my grandma. I took it and I fell by a point. And I I remember I was coming out of a residency interview. I open it up and it says fail again. And again, my family rallied around me. I got- And that was a CK, right? The knowledge one? It was the CK one. I had passed the CS, the clinical skills. And this is November. In order to graduate the following year, I needed to pass this. And in order to match, I needed to pass this by December. And of course, they don't give the test past like December 20th. So end of November, I needed to turn around and study for this thing again. So I had two weeks to study, barely finished the um, question bank, registered in Toronto. My sisters and my cousin drove to Toronto from Buffalo. Because <laughs> that was the only center available? <laughs> exactly. And I didn't want to take, <laughs> I it, in, I take it in Nashville because it seems like I keep failing. <laughs> I go to Buffalo. We drive to um, Canada to take this test. And I end up passing. I feel like this should be a movie. It should be. (laughs) Um, Pass that on time and end up graduating uh, that following year and matching to my number one choice. Okay, so yay. We, we get the residency and then um, Don passes the last week of my intern year. And um, of course, I'm not ready to take step three. The, the birds, yeah. But I take it anyway, uh, fail miserably, take it again, fail a little bit miserably, take it again, miss it by a point. At this point, oh my gosh. At this point, I'm just like, these people should they're they're gonna kick me out like who takes step three three times but i had advocates at my residency program who fought for and let me take it a fourth time i invested in a tutor like spend so many coins just but those first two times i was Mm -hmm. so grieving i was not myself i was just going through the motions and that's why i felt it wasn't until the third time that I felt at most, like mostly like myself. So that's yeah. probably a real the one point, the yeah. one point one. Still would have been <laughs> upset. Yeah, um, but then I ended up taking a fourth time and did did perfectly fine. I think my score went up like 20, 20 points, fifteen twenty. Wow. Points. So it just goes to show that the test is one day. Something could, is, something yeah. could happen right before. Yeah. Life can happen. Mm. Yeah. And the people who are admitting you to medical school, residency, they're just seeing this snapshot. And it's not yeah. until they offer you an interview where they get to speak to you that they can hear, oh, what was the extenuating circumstance of, or what was the reasoning? But they have all these cutoffs of who they're going to take based on the score. So there's not, there's not really mercy. Um, 
but there are some people on admissions committees who give people a chance. Mm. And because of what I went through, my dad, he's a GYN oncologist. Yeah. When he sees somebody from Cornell or Meharry, yeah. there's this special connection that he has. Uh. When he sees somebody who has struggled, he knows the uh. struggle that I went through. So he uh. gives people a second chance. And I and that is good. I definitely believe in giving people a chance that their past does not define their future. Yeah. And we're losing so much potential by not giving people a chance to redeem themselves. So by not just focusing on the not, not focus on the numbers, but also hear the qualitative reasons, like the stories behind them. Because all they see is the scores, but they don't know what goes behind those scores. Exactly. Like do yeah. do well in school, but it does not define your future does not define if you'll be a good physician it tells me you are good at taking a test and that's it that's it hmm. Hmm. i think it goes back just to the humanity of it all like what's the story behind these numbers yeah that. And, I, and i ask you to share that because um my husband is a physician as well and he struggled a lot with step one okay and um and I had to like literally kick him out. Like you have to go write it. Like he was just scared to take the exams, mm-hmm. and it took him like a year and some months to like finally take it. And he, you know, he passed. But I do have um, a couple of friends in this situation. They've been here for about maybe six years now. They're yet to take the exams. Yeah, and I know for those kind of people that are struggling because I do know that these are wonderful physicians. Like I've I've worked with a couple of them, and when they were still in, you know, um, as medical officers before they decided to go into you know, residency and whatnot. I know they have, you know, amazing potentials to really take your patients. So it's not about their skills as physicians, mm-hmm. but it's just something which I don't know. I, I wouldn't know about this test, but I know how it's such a big deal for medical doctors. For those that are still not able to like get past those fears to just maybe write the exam for the first time or even rewrite it if they failed it. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of words would you give them to encourage them to, you know, um, look past, not just look past, but consider all of the things they've gone through, but still not give up. Yeah. So the number one thing that causes people to push their tests back or to not pass, I really believe this test is not only knowledge, but it's where your mind is and Mm. having a sound mind because we are brainwashed that the step one is going to determine the rest of your life and which specialty you're going to go into. So you repeat that over and over again. And when I was studying for step one, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. (laughs) And I ended up like taking sleeping pills, but the sleeping pills had the side effect. You said that the retrograde. Yeah. It erased erased my memory. So I'm not retaining anything. Um, so it just it just creates this cycle of not being able to function. Mm. Um, I I had to literally remove myself from the environment each time mm. because I kept seeing, oh, I'm not at this point. My classmates are doing better. So I know some people can't do that, but you need to feel safe. You need to feel safe in your environment. You f- need to feel not judged. And then it's very easy to isolate yourself from everybody. Um, I would definitely suggest not doing that. And 
finding people who will support you and love you and encourage you through the process and also give you a little bit of a nudge to do it, to take it like you did with your, your husband. I also am a big proponent of tutors, tutors who have done well. So I promote elite medical prep all the time. It doesn't matter if you're international or local. Um, Making that investment in a tutor is very important because they've done well, but they have a way of presenting the material or helping you meet deadlines. For step three, as you can imagine, studying for the fourth time, um, (laughs) I was discouraged, but I was kind of numb. Like, okay, we're doing this again. Um, But I think having a tutor that time gave me structure and gave, he really honed in on what my learning style was and what my actual weaknesses were. Because uh, if you miss it by a point, you're right there. Answer two, answer two yeah. more questions and you're almost there. So mm. if I put it that way. Someone's like, oh, yeah, you could have just guessed two more questions, right? Um, but you really have to see it as it's a man-made test meant to weed people out. Um, and it's, it's about your knowledge and your mental state and is actually not going to determine the rest of your life. There's so many physicians I've met who have alternative paths or they've struggled as well. And they weren't necessarily open about sharing their failures, but it's actually more common than people think. And we are humans too. We're not next to God. We make mistakes. And I think just bringing physicians down off that pedestal makes us more human and that we can have our struggles too. And then go to, go to therapy. Go to therapy, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I like that. So tutors, don't shut people out. Go to therapy. And don't listen to those voices that tell you that your scores will determine the rest of your life. Right. And I say that's probably going to be the hardest because my husband still believes, and I'm sure a lot of his friends believe that your step one scores will make or mar you. And especially for international medical graduates, there's such a thing that is ingrained in them. Yeah. And it's just so much pressure. Yeah. Of just, you know, being, being able to get into residency. And then you make yourself sick by doing that. And then it's just a revolving door and a cycle downward spiral. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I think finally, um, I want to talk about imposter syndrome. So I know a little bit about, you know, your family, your dad is very accomplished. I mean, MD, PhD, um, National Academy of Medicine, one of the very few people, you know, <laughs> three liver NAM members in New York. Mm-hmm. And he's a physician, similar field. He's done a lot for the ovarian cancer. Or yes, cancer? ovarian cancer. Ovarian yes. cancer. I mean, he's very well accomplished. And then you being his daughter and standing on that path. And I, and I'm from your post as well. I know he's been very encouraging, and you've all mentioned it today during the um, taping of the show. How he's you know been, he's he's just been there for you, and I can imagine your family has been such a um, source of support. How have you been able to break from that mode of, I, my dad is my dad, and I'm me. Like, how do you f- not fall into that trap of not trying to live in his shadows, given that you're in the same field? It's so easy to make yeah, comparisons. That's a good question. So. I started, so I wanted to be a doctor when I was three, 
but what does a three-year-old know? <laughs> before life, before life giving the way. <laughs> and then I had some experiences in my childhood, like, oh, doctors are kind of cool. I broke my wrist in the seventh grade, and I got, I got to know my orthopedic surgeon pretty well. So, okay, I'm going to do orthopedic surgery. Um, I got very interested in that. And in medical school, I thought, oh, I'm going to do ortho. So I was the president of the orthopedic surgery club for two years. And then I did my third-year rotation in OBGYN. I I had considered OBGYN, but I had this aha moment of, oh, these are actually my people. (laughs) So luckily, it was early enough in third year where I could get... um, mentors in OBGYN other than my father who could write me strong letters of recommendation and I could um, just really learn from them so I ended up telling my ortho mentor and Uh he he was like are you sure um he's a little hurt but he was very supportive that whatever I wanted to do that was fine and my parents have been the same way Um, that whatever myself and my two younger sisters wanted to do, they would support us. I was never, ever forced to become a physician. It was just a a pure um, vision that I saw for myself. And I think they encouraged me and nurtured me in that way. Um, In speaking about imposter syndrome and possibly being in my dad's shadow, I don't actually think that I am. I think... So when I started residency, I considered um, GYN oncology, which is what my, yeah, my yeah. dad does. And I, I like GYN oncology, but it wasn't until actually I was done with residency and moved here that I just kept having this recurring feeling that that was not where I was supposed to be. Um, and I actually am more interested in benign cases, and I could see myself having a niche in fibroid and endometriosis management. Whoa! <laughs> I, completely I just, different. I just had surgery in that, so I'm very much interested in hearing uh, about that. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely, I've thought about it, and it's been on my mind for maybe three years now, two or three years, wow. and I thought, okay, the only way to do what I want to do is, oh, I have to be a fantastic surgeon. So how do I get there? GYN oncology. But I, mm, I think this is a better fit to just stick with that niche. Um, of course, life can change and maybe I'll pursue GYN oncology later, but I have to go with what makes me feel right and yeah. what my passion is. So even in that pivot, which happened uh, end of last year. Again, my parents and my siblings have been very supportive. Like, yeah, just go for it. So th- there's no pressure from my parents to, that is amazing. to follow after my dad's footsteps. Well, that's good. That's good. And thanks for sharing that. And I know you have two siblings. You're like mm-hmm. the first of three girls. Yes. Um, as far as I'm a firstborn as well. So I do see that sometimes that pressure to be almost like a model for your siblings, you know, um has that would you say there's been some pressure in a way for you to be a particular kind of firstborn so your siblings can have a model or it's never been like that with your family structure um, I think there's a pressure to 
keep going, but I'm not sure if it's uh, unique to being Nigerian. I, I want to be a good role model because I love my sisters and I want them to succeed in whatever they want to do. Um, there may have been some pressure to all be doctors, sure, because that's the stereotype of Nigerians that we're all yeah, doctors, lawyers, and, and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and my middle sister, um, she was pre-med at one point, and she took she took the prerequisites. She was in the last day to withdraw from organic was it organic chemistry maybe one of the chemistry courses and she calls me crying she's like I don't want to do medicine and I was like okay then don't Mm. withdraw today because I I had a sense that that's not what she wanted to do and I'm glad that she felt comfortable letting me know I just if you want to do medicine you have to be passionate about it and willing to do whatever it takes because it's actually an insane field (laughs) All of my schooling was 15 years, so you have to be a little bit wild to want to do that. But if it's not your passion, then don't feel like you have to be pressured by the stereotypes to do it. And I would say this to any other culture that pushes their kids to do Asian cultures. I'm not going to say it for you. You you said it. I did it. (laughs) It's okay. It's a a show for Blacks and Asians. So it's, it's part of course. (laughs) Yeah. And I, even if you do end up doing medicine and you have a diverse or a diverse background, there are plenty of people who do something else before becoming physicians. Yeah. We had nurses, we had lawyers, we had people in the military um, you don't have to subscribe to the template. You can make your life whatever you want it be. Want it to be. People ask me, "Oh, is it too late for me to go to medical school?" No, it's not. <laughs> I had um, people in their forties in my class, so I don't think it's ever too late it's to do, too late. do anything. My mom, she got another yeah how much was degree you said that yeah, yeah in her when she in her 50s 50. i think yeah that's amazing by she the way just, she just felt like doing it and <laughs> we supported her in that venture so and it was a completely different career um she was a cpa and then she switched to health administration so good oh. for her for doing <laughs> that um but it's never too late to to add or subtract or to pivot I like that. It's never too late to add or subtract. And I think finally would be, what would be, what, what lessons would you say have you've learned from your first marriage that's helping you with, with, with it now? And I really want to focus on just that chance at giving, second chance at giving love, opening your heart again to love. And because I, I don't know a lot of people that have gone through what you've gone through, but I do know a couple of friends who were hurt in their first, first marriage. They had to get divorced and it's kind of difficult to like, you know, give love a chance. And not that I'm comparing um, losing a loved one from by death versus, you know, a bitter divorce. I think the commonality here is just how do you prepare your heart again to love and, and all of that? So I'm just curious to know, what would you say have been the things you've learned from your first marriage that's helping your second mm-hmm. one? Probably for those that are going through um, something similar, maybe not so similar with you. Sure. It's a good question. Um, Thank you. So Don was, 
he gave unconditional love. So that would be the first thing. And that's something that I've had to bring into this marriage. And just being true to myself is something I've had to learn too, that I don't have to put on a front um, to be who I'm not. I think it's it's a it's an interesting situation because you have this other identity or who you were before, yes. and then you become this other person. I often think of who I was before and how much I've changed since that time, but I think at the core, I'm still myself in terms of trying to live a joyful life and um, giving positivity and really trying to um, believe that everything will be okay in the end. So I take that on in my marriage as well. Um, in terms of being able to love again, I was not ready for yeah. love when I met S and definitely had a wall up um, and I think it just took a miracle to start slowly chipping away at that wall because I definitely have abandonment issues. Like, oh, everybody's just going to leave, leave or die. So I have mentally, and I'm still working on them, built up walls to protect myself um, in case that happens again. So I think I'm very much on guard um, more than the the normal person in thinking, okay, this is this is this is going to happen again, and it very well may. Um, but I really want to get to the point where I'm as vulnerable as possible and not afraid of getting hurt. So that's where I am right now, and yeah, I'm just thankful that I found two needles in a haystack. And my, my current husband, he's, he means a lot to me. And I'm thankful and grateful for him as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for just uh, coming on the show today. I, you're amazing. It's just one word for it. And I really do mean that. And very inspirational. And I do wish you the very best in whatever next project you're working on, especially with your mentoring one. And I know that the future is still going to be bright for you because you, you're lucky in the sense that you've taken what could really damage and decimate, decimate a lot of us. And you've taken that as a way to, like, as a weapon in a way, not to like kill people or, you know, main people, but you've taken it as a way to kind of show everyone the way in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. You, you've, you've more than survived. You're thriving. You're doing way better than, you know, most would if given the same um, lot in life. And and I think that goes to show the person you are. And you've always been that way, I think. And I think the experiences you've gone through just brought that out in you. So I commend you for just being who you've been and how often you've been, especially on Facebook and especially on social media, on Instagram, actually. Because that's where I get to really... I, I could tell who you were just by looking at your pages. It wasn't like trying to hide. It wasn't like trying to, you know, put up a, a form of a shell. 
because some of those things I've cried at some of your posts that you know talked down my heartstrings. And so for those moments, I want to say thank you for all you do. It means a lot to be able to have someone like you be that advocate for burnout in medicine, which I know you're very passionate about, and also helping doctors realize that there's always that life is life is beautiful, whether you're a doctor or not, whether you follow a traditional path or not, that your inherent person as a human being is still much more valuable than who you are, like your labels, whether you're an MD or PhD or MPH. And also your work with um, Africans and African-American, with Blacks and with um, Latinx people, your mentoring and things you do. I want to commend you and say, keep it up. And the world is watching. And I know it's a matter of time before you get to be in more spaces. And because the world needs to see what you're doing. I think you deserve to be given that platform because you're really sharing a lot. And I commend you for that. Thank you so much, Mel, for those kind words. And it's been an honor speaking with you. and. I know people are watching. I never know who's watching. And I feel like if my story can help somebody um, to live their best life, then I've done what I needed to do. And you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. So for those that are, um, how can they find you on Instagram? I know you've, you mentioned that earlier, but how can people find you? It's probably those that might want to connect with you. Sure. It's Life by Tulsi, L-I-F-E. B-Y-T-O-S-I-N, one word. Um, and that's on Instagram. And that's my email, lifebytulsi at gmail.com. And I'm very open to answering questions. I pretty I respond to the Instagram ones pretty fast. The email might take take a minute, but okay. yeah, I like to answer people's questions. And yeah, I'm very open to, to sharing. There you go, guys. So go find her on Instagram or email if you love this episode, which I, I'm guessing you guys do. And just, I would like to really bring you back on the show. And the two big things I like to talk about, women's health, especially thyroid and endometriosis, because I um, I have endometriosis as well. And it's so difficult finding a doctor to like believe that it's not yeah, all in your head. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and to have a physician like you, you know, talk about that, that would like, you know, make my day um, probably sometime later in the show. Sure. That would be my it. pleasure. It's, Oh, thank you. This was it. Um, so, guys, don't, I don't know if you had any final words before I wrap it up. Sorry. I don't. I appreciate okay. being on the show. And oh, no. <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tosin. All right, guys, This was that was the show. Uh, we've talked a lot about so many stuff today, about her process uh, from medical school up onto residency, and also talking about... Um, losing her first husband and all of what that entailed, the process of grief and how to kind of um, move forward, you know, move on guys. Remember we don't move on past grief. We move forward and how, you know, all of those experiences have shaped the person she is today. We also talked about imposter syndrome and how to find a path for yourself. If you love this episode, let me know in the comment section, wherever you listen to the podcast on, you can also read the podcast and on whatever platform you are, just give it like a five star. That would be very nice. <laughs> or you can just find me on Instagram at Mosevo and let me know how you really enjoyed this podcast episode. But if you want to come on the show, I'm very much open to sharing stories and processes. I'm more than happy to bring you on the show. Well, this was the episode of the Mosevo podcast, and catch you guys in another episode of the show. And I remain your host, Mosevo. <laughs> 지금 모습 그대로 나를 꼭 안아주세요 우리 나
나중에는 어떻게 될진 몰라도 정해지지 않아서 그게 나는 좋아요 남들이 뭐라는 게 뭐가 중요해요 서로가 없음 죽겠는데 뭐를 고민해요 우리 함께 더 사랑해도 되잖아요 네가 다른 사람이 좋아지면 사랑